0: So, J.R., Milwaukee is grieving following a mass shooting at Molson Coors Brewing Company that left six employees dead, including the gunman. Just before the shooting, Governor Evers had renewed his call for the Republican-controlled state legislature to take up bills that would enact universal background checks for gun purchases and... And adopt a red flag law. Republicans have repeatedly rejected the governor's calls, including an hour before the tragedy, when State Senator Scott Fitzgerald, who was at a function in the Milwaukee area, reiterated that Republicans had no intention of taking up the bills. He said, quote, a lot of the provisions that are in place already people are satisfied with. Then after the tragedy, Fitzgerald called the shooting an act of evil and expressed condolences to the families but he didn't address the issue of tougher gun laws. Are Republicans likely to change their minds? And if not, could this issue haunt them at the polls?
1: It's entirely possible it could hurt them this fall, but, you know, they've been consistent in recent months saying that they think these provisions that Governor Evers is pushing go too far, They some infringement upon Second Amendment rights, and then they raise questions about whether they would have done anything to impact these various shootings that we've seen. So when they first kind of shoved aside Governor Evers call for a special session on guns. The big kind of question that I heard was, well, will there be an incident sometime between now and the next fall that, you know, could have been prevented by these things and then comes back to haunt Republicans? I don't know all the details of how this gentleman got the, the weapons that he used on the shooting or or how if it could have been prevented somehow with one of these laws, but, you know, we're just not seeing any signs that Republicans feel pressured on this issue to change and again they believe principally that it's an infringement upon the second amendment to do what governors has called it for so if they're not feeling pressure politically to, to change positions it, people just don't see any movement on this it's the same standoff and for republicans when I've asked them about this issue they go back and say look you know if you go back to our districts which you know largely are suburban exurban and rural areas people aren't calling for these these laws they may support them but they're not a driving issue. So they're just not feeling a sense of urgency to do these things from back home. And the, all the calls from the governor or or Democratic lawmakers don't seem to phase them, and, and they're not having an impact.
0: Well, do you think Governor Evers will try again in the next two-year session to enact stricter gun laws?
1: Uh, totally possible. And you kind of acknowledge after the last time that, you know, it's not really moving people just yet. So I'm sure the governor will continue to call for these things. But Barring a major shakeup in the um, leadership and the membership of the Republican caucuses in the state legislature, it's hard for people to see a big shift in where they stand on this issue right now.
0: In another development, a Wisconsin appeals court has overturned a ruling that ordered the removal of more than 200,000 people from the state's voter rolls because they may have moved. The court overturned the decision of an Ozaki County judge who had ruled in favor of the purge. The appeals court also vacated an order from that same judge that found the State Elections Commission in contempt for not moving forward with it. The suit was brought by a conservative law firm, and it looks like that firm will appeal to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. What do you think will happen here?
1: Well, excellent question. Um Remember, the Supreme Court was asked before to take this case directly and and turn down the request. And when it did that, conservative Rebecca Bradley complained that, you know, they were missing an opportunity to to offer some clarity in this issue and that with the typical speed at which the courts operate, it was unlikely the state Supreme Court would have a chance to weigh in before the November election. So now here we are in February, you know, well, late February, early March, with this case being decided what's going to happen from here? How quickly can the court get that case in front of it? Um, you know, we kind of assume the conservative majority would accept the appeal, but then what? how, how quickly can they move where the justices try to put this ruling on hold? I mean, there are all kinds of legal questions like that that I never predict what a court will do, but there is at least now it looked like an opportunity for the Supreme Court to weigh in. Um, it's just a matter of what speed can it, how, how quickly can it operate? And I'm not sure about that.
0: Turning to another topic, as expected, Governor Evers vetoed a Republican-authored $250 million income tax bill, saying that the legislature should instead back his plan to spend more on education. Evers had advocated for $250 million of a surplus to be spent on schools and $130 million to reduce property taxes, but Republicans ignored his proposal. So what happens next? Republicans revive their income tax cut next year, and Evers does the same with his idea to spend more on schools.
1: Yes, but in the immediate term, the question is, who can use a bully pulpit the best to knock the other side? And why I say that is, you know, Republicans basically said that there's no time for compromise, that that time has passed and it's too late. Now, if the average voter, they might be wondering, okay, wait a second, here we are, we're only two months into the year, just starting March, what do you mean there's no time? There's still a long way to go before December thirty-first. Now, people like, you know, the reporters in the Capitol who who follow this thing real closely understand the, the Capitol calendar, but I'm not sure the average voter does. So can Tony Evers make an issue of that? That look, these guys aren't aren't really working full time, they're slacking off, whatever. Can he do that? Um, for Republicans, the message is gonna be That Governor Evers, when there's a surplus, doesn't want to give the money back to you, the taxpayer, but wants to grow government. How successful will they be? Um, That's one thing to watch going forward. Now, long term, you know, the silver lining for Evers is going to be that if they don't spend this money um, and can't reach a compromise, which looks like they're not going to, then it's still there come early next year when he goes to build his budget. Now, the caveat is obviously the stock market is not done very well. The last couple of weeks, with fears about this virus, um, you know, is this just a temporary blip, or is it going to be triggering something longer term economically that hurts the projections for for revenues? So, on the one hand, if revenues drop, having this extra money laying around would be good because it'd be a cushion. But let's just go on the assumption the projections hold true, right? Well, then next year, the Governor Evers built his budget in late January, February, sometime. He takes that cash and pumps it in education like he wants to, then delivers the legislature, and then they, Republicans, pair back what Evers wanted to spend on education. He has a talking point then that Republicans quote-unquote cut education because don't spend as much as he wants to, even though they'll likely give a, a bump to schools. And we have this conversation all over again next year, right? We've had, been having it for whole time Evers has been in charge about education funding, Republicans saying, hey, we've done big boosts the last two budgets, The governor wants something that's just unrealistic. Ever saying, look, these guys are starving schools from what they need. You keep seeing evidence of referendums and that's why, you know, taxpayers want more for schools, they're raising their own taxes because of it. Say it's an obligation to to cover that that bill. And basically go round and round yet again by education funding.
0: One of the nation's largest labor unions is unveiling plans to pour $150 million into defeating President Trump. They're focusing on eight battleground states, including Wisconsin. What kind of impact will this money have and what will this expenditure look like?
1: Well, if it looks like the other stuff we've seen, it's going to be ads. It's going to be people on the ground turning people out. It's going to be every time you go on YouTube and watch a video, you get some kind of like 15-second spot that you watch um, knocking President Trump. I mean, the question I've had with people I talked to for the last few weeks is, we've seen all kinds of promises of multi-million dollar commitments to Wisconsin because we are on the, you know, the tipping point possibly for the presidential race. It's really a lot of attention. The question is, at what point does all this money have a diminishing return? I mean, you can only spend so much. You can only contact voters so many times before they get annoyed, you know, or tune out the message. So, at what point does this? have a diminished effect, um, but you know at this point, they're going to keep pouring money in here as long as they see an opportunity to turn people out, because if you look at the task ahead for both sides, they want to improve their turnout with their supporters. For President Trump, yes, he won Wisconsin by 22,000 votes in change uh, four years ago, but the number he reached for, for votes is significantly less than the best performance from a Democrat in Wisconsin, which is Barack Obama. So Trump would feel more comfortable if he could get, you know, a couple hundred thousand more votes, turn more people out. Where does he find those voters? For Democrats, they're going, hey, you know, we we had a drop off in turnout in 2016. We got to fix our issues in rural Wisconsin, get Milwaukee, you know, jazzed up and, and hope that we get back to our normal performance. And that could help us win Wisconsin. But how do you get those people excited? How do you turn them out, you know? Part of his environment, part of it is resources and, and investment. But at some point, again, there's just so much money being spent, the question I have is at what point do voters tune it out, and it might be counterproductive.
0: And finally, longtime Republican State Senator Luther Olson of Ripon in central Wisconsin has announced he will not seek reelection this year. He didn't really give a reason for why he's retiring. Olson is considered a moderate voice in the Republican majority, and he survived a recall attempt in 2011. What are the dynamics of this district, and is this a seat that Democrats could snap up?
1: Uh, it's a pretty Republican seat. You know, Luther Olsen got about 57% of the vote in the last two elections. Donald Trump did 58% there in 2016. You know, Olsen kind of said when I talked to him this week that it he just, he just lined up. He, he's been around for a long time. He turned, I think, 69 last week, and he's been around for more than 25 years. He wants to travel more with his wife, who's... Uh, Got a job that requires some travel and spend more time with the grandkids, so he's got other things he wants to do besides be in this building all the time. Um, looking at the district, it's probably going to be all about the primary. Uh, so far, as of late last week, the only person we announced was Joan Ballweg, a state rep from Marquezan. She actually won Olson's assembly seat and replaced him in that chamber. So he's trying to follow him now again. This time to the Senate. Um, John Plumer, who's a Republican from Lodi, uh, he's also a city member of the assembly in that dist- in that Senate seat. He said told us he 's not going to run for the seat uh, former state Rep Keith Ripp, another Republican who used to serve in that district in the assembly um, he said he 's not going to run, so for, uh, nobody else so far has stepped up besides Ballweg, but you know it 's still early. you start circling papers in oh April they 're due in June I remember correctly, so there 's some time, but Baldwig is trying to move quickly to make investments and send a message that she 's going to be serious about this i saw a finance report, for example, last week where she loaned her campaign $50,000 uh, the day after now she's getting in. So she wants to try and scare off a primary and have us all to herself. But watch the next few weeks. If someone's going to merge, it'll probably be sometime in the next two or three weeks, maybe a month, before you know if anybody else is going to run.
0: Huh. But it's interesting that already a couple of people are in the not running category.
1: Well, you got to make a decision quickly uh, because, like we're seeing with Ballweg, you know, she's marshalling resources. I'm sure she's calling people trying to try line up support. The longer you wait, the harder it's to catch up. And for somebody like Plumer, he won his assembly seat in a special election in 2018. You know, he's kind of newer on the block. So he's probably thinking, hey, I need to keep, keep an eye on my district, earn it a couple more times, and that'll be a better foundation for a Senate run someday, if, he, if he's ever interested in that, versus taking a flyer when you've been there for less than two years looking at Balwig has been there for you know, a longer period of time.
0: That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.